At Christmas time, we celebrate the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. At Easter time, we celebrate his death and resurrection. Many Christians at Ascension time celebrate the return of Jesus to heaven. Now Ascension Day, in case you hadn't noticed, was on Thursday, three days ago. And many people, perhaps more Catholics and Anglicans, would be holding special services to remember the occasion when the Lord Jesus went home, went back to heaven, after 33 years on planet Earth. Is there anything left in the church calendar? Oh yes. Next Sunday is Pentecost Sunday, when again... uh, Some Christians, some churches will pay no attention to it whatsoever, but others will have a special focus on the coming of the Holy Spirit. As I was driving over this morning, the Lord reminded me of a scripture which is very wonderful really, because it's there in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, where Paul is writing to people who had become Christians and he's speaking about what the Holy Spirit does in our lives. He says, We, with unveiled faces, all reflect the Lord's glory and we are being transformed, we're being changed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. We all experience in life a variety of changes We've just heard about some this morning. This lady who's coming to speak at the women's meeting has experienced enormous change in her life. Praise God for that. If somebody's hesitating about becoming a Christian, perhaps they wonder, what difference will it make to me? Will, will I have to change? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. But it's always a change for the better. Always taking away bad stuff out of our lives and adding in good stuff. Now next, next Sunday, as I mentioned, is Pentecost Sunday. And for that reason, because I won't be with you then, I thought I'd like to draw your attention again this morning to what actually happened on that memorable occasion. There were three great Jewish festivals for the Jewish people, one of which, of course, is still enthusiastically celebrated by our Jewish friends, the Feast of Passover, But seven weeks after the Feast of Passover came the Feast of Pentecost. From a Greek word, which is the kind of Greek equivalent of a Hebrew word, which means 50 days. It's called 50 days because it occurred 50 days, seven weeks, after the Feast of Passover. And the third one was the Feast of Tabernacles or Booths which required the Jewish people of that earlier centuries to actually camp in the garden or in the forest somewhere for a few days to remind them that they had once been camping in the wilderness. In other words, they'd been endured and been brought through a very long, arduous journey by God to the promised land. Now, I'm going to take time to read from Acts chapter 2. But this whole business of being changed... You see, that verse I read to you at the beginning indicates that while there is a major change takes place in our life, when we cross the line, we surrender our life to the Lord Jesus Christ and he takes over, he comes into the driving seat, we're under new management, he is acknowledged as the rightful Lord of my life and that's the biggest change we can ever experience in life. 
does that mean it's all over? Oh no, 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 no. Because that verse I read says that we are being changed day by day, week by week, year by year. Now this is something we very readily forget and very often the changes take place without our being particularly aware of them because very often they're fairly gradual. But it's good for us to remember that God's desire is that by his spirit he should be changing us at least a little bit every day. I find that kind of exciting. At 83 to still be able to anticipate change, yes why not? Because that's how God operates. And I want to challenge you, when you come along on a Sunday morning, you come saying, oh, I hope God will change me a little more today. I'm up for some change today because I know every change God makes in my life is a good change. So, let's read these verses, some of the verses in Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost came, they, those believers who had come to know Jesus up to that point, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. They had come, you see, from far and near to be present for the, the Pentecostal celebration. Pentecostal feast. When they heard the sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native tongue, his own native language? These were known languages, you see, in which they were praising God. And there's a list of different places from where the people had come. And it goes on to say, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? What in the world is going on? Some, however, made fun of them and said they've had too much wine. Wrong. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who are in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And he quotes from a prophecy given through Joel about 400 years before. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions, your old men will dream dreams, even in my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke, the sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This was a major event, obviously, a quite unique event. The pouring of the Holy Spirit on that group of 120 or so believers and by the end of the day the crowd had increased to 25 times the original size and they had all responded to the gospel. 
25-fold increase in one day. How is that, Graham, for church growth? I like it. It would present you with problems right away. Where are we going to put all these people? 25 times, 3,000 people at the end of the day because of the coming in power of the Holy Spirit. Now, about 50 years ago, and on other occasions since Pentecost, the original Pentecost, there have been times when God has moved in revival power in different parts of the world and has poured out his spirit, not on the scale that happened in the day of Pentecost, but nevertheless on a very large scale in some situations. And in 44 years ago, this month, I experienced something new of the Holy Spirit that I had not known before. A similar event, similar in some respects, to what I've just read about in the book of Acts. But of course, it did result in changes, and some changes were not welcomed by some Christians. It meant we became far more free and exuberant, and the praise went on forever and ever, hours and hours, and they sang the same songs over and over again, and people began to pray in tongues and get interpretations and prophesy and get words of knowledge and words of wisdom, and some people said, hey, wait a minute, hold on. That's really something. We don't need these things. And we've got this far without them, so let's, let's just put them aside, can we? Oh. But you see, what God was aiming at in all these outpouring for the Spirit from the day of Pentecost and beyond was not some icing and some cake. It was not something extra that we don't really need. It's a kind of luxury we can do without. It spells it out here in that prophecy of Joel, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And you ask, did it work on the day of Pentecost or did it not? Well, it surely did when the church grew 25 times its original size in one day. What God is always aiming at is to bring people from unbelief to faith in Jesus, to bring people from being unsaved and without their sins forgiven, no hope of heaven, to know Jesus and have eternal life and live in the good of that. John the Baptist, who was sent to prepare for the coming of Jesus, he pointed out to Jesus, pointed to Jesus one day after Jesus came, and he said, look, look at him, look at that man. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Absolutely wonderful. That's why Jesus came, to deal with a major, major problem of sin. And he dealt with it on the cross when he died in our place. But only one gospel writer reports that. But all the four gospel writers report something else John said about Jesus. He said, he, Jesus, will baptize you in the Holy Spirit and in fire. Talk about change. Sounds like a pretty big change to me. He will immerse you, he'll baptize you in the Holy Spirit and in fire. So let's look at this passage that we read in a bit beyond this just for a moment this morning. Those who experienced that extraordinary event on the day of Pentecost, they had been taught to expect it. Were they taken completely by surprise? No, they weren't. They had been taught, the 120 or so who were there at the beginning of that day, they had been taught to expect what was about to happen. Where had they been taught? How had they been taught? Well, first of all, in the scriptures. In addition to the dual prophecy, in Isaiah chapter 44, there's an early indication of what God would ultimately do. 
chapter there, the Lord speaks through Isaiah and he says, I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. In other words, I'll move in power and blessing on the rising generation, the young people growing up in your midst. They will spring up like grass as a meadow and a meadow like poplar trees by flowing streams. One will say, I belong to the Lord. In other words, it will bring conversion. It will bring people to a place of faith where they're glad to admit and testify they belong to the Lord. And it will not take the perfect time to read the prophecy of Joel because I read that to you in Acts chapter 2 as Peter quoted it. And again, it was a clear promise of major change when the Holy Spirit came. So they had been taught to expect it in the scriptures. When God says in the Bible he will do something, we were reminded of that this morning, he does it. He keeps his promises. They were also taught to expect it by their Saviour himself. In Acts chapter 1 verse 5, Luke, who wrote both the Gospel of Luke and the Acts of the Apostles, repeats almost what he said in, in Acts, Luke 24, he said on one occasion while Jesus was eating with his disciples he gave them this command don't leave Jerusalem but wait for the gift my father promised now notice how God or Jesus in this instance describes this gift of the coming of the Holy Spirit it is not called a gift one among many it is called the gift an ultra special one Wait, said Jesus to these disciples, for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about, for John immersed in water, but in a few days you're going to be baptized, immersed in the Holy Spirit. So, a very short time before the event took place, the disciples had been told what to expect. But long before that, not long before that, but a little time before that, as Jesus shared the Passover, with his disciples he went on after sharing the, during the Passover he established as we saw last Sunday the Lord's Supper and then he gave them a body of teaching much of which was focused on what the Holy Spirit would do when he would come for example John fourteen twenty six, peace I leave with you my peace no that's wrong um, 26 when the counsellor the Holy Spirit when the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. The Holy Spirit it is who teaches us through a variety of means. He teaches us what God wants us to know. Chapter fifteen twenty six. Jesus still speaking to the disciples and says when the counselor and by the way this word counselor in Greek it's paraclete, paraclete and it means someone called alongside to help. When the counsellor of the paraclete comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of Truth, who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And those well-meaning Christians who are afraid of putting too much emphasis on the Holy Spirit have not apparently understood that the Holy Spirit doesn't advertise himself. He doesn't draw attention to himself. Quite the opposite. He draws attention to Jesus. So that's all helpful and good and safe. And then in chapter 16, Jesus further explains some of the things the Holy Spirit will do. He says, unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I'll send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world of sin in regard to guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. So if Jesus is saying, 
When the Spirit of God comes, he will start disturbing people. He will make them aware that they are sinful and need to be saved. He will show them the righteousness we can have in knowing Jesus, and he will tell them seriously that judgment is a real thing. You better get right with God because there is judgment further down the line, and you don't want to be unready for it. Anyway, such were the warnings that these disciples had been given. They've been told what to expect. And the more we read our Bibles, and we should read them every day, the more we read our Bibles, the more we understand what we can legitimately and sensibly expect God to do for us. If he tells us many of the things he wants to do in our lives, and a great many of them have to do with changing us. Ah, being changed from one degree of glory to another by the Spirit of the Lord. God is quietly at work in your life as well as mine, changing us. And that's great. That's good news. We're being changed and becoming a little more like Jesus, hopefully, every day. These who experienced the coming of the Spirit at Pentecost, they had been taught to expect it. And they were obedient to the call of Jesus. He didn't, they didn't start wandering around, rushing around, saying, oh, we must spread the gospel all over the world. No, they did what Jesus told them to do. They remained in the city of Jerusalem. So they were there come Pentecost. Mind you, they were all Jews. And of course, the Pentecost and Passover and both all these festivals, they were attended by men. Jewish men were required to gather together one, three times a year for these special festival occasions. And so the disciples, the first bunch of disciples, 120 or so, were still they were obeying, obeying Jesus. They kept waiting and waiting in Jerusalem for this amazing thing to happen. And boy, did it happen. It happened suddenly. They were all together in one place when suddenly... A sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven. There was something they heard, filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw something, what seemed to be like tongues of fire, that separated and came to rest in each of them. And all of them, with no exceptions, all of them, all of them, were filled with the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit gets hold of your life, one of the first things he changes is your speech. And these people were given supernaturally the ability to speak languages they had not learned. And they began pouring out praise to God. Ah, change, massive change. Now that happened to Jews only. All those who gathered, all that big crowd who were there on that day, and there were 3,000 of them at the end of the day had become Christians. They were all Jewish men. Men. Hmm. It was men who attended these festivals. If we go over to Acts chapter 10, we find what has been described as the Gentile Pentecost. Because now we are not in a city of Jerusalem, we are in a place but away from Jerusalem and we are in the home of a Roman soldier. And Peter is speaking in a house meeting. So there weren't 3,000 there. And he's talking about Jesus, proclaiming Jesus, 
He says, this, this is the message God sent to the people of Israel, telling the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what happened throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil, because God was with him. And Peter went on, as you would expect him to go on, to speak about Jesus, his death on the cross, his being raised from the dead, and he gets to the point where he says, all the prophets testify about him, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And Peter has to stop talking. This has never happened to me. It'd be wonderful if it did, if it was the same reason, if I was given the same reason for stopping talking, I'd gladly stand aside. When God comes in power, preacher, sit down. Mm. So, what's happening? Well, Peter was still speaking. The Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. A mini Pentecost, like the big one on the earlier occasion in Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message and the, un, the circumcised believers, that means the Jewish Christians, the handful of Jewish Christians who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. The Jews regarded the Gentiles as second class citizens. Surely God's going to not going to bless them in the same way he's blessed us, but he did. How did they know? Because they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Oh, there it is again, Gentile Pentecost. All happened very suddenly. And all happened quite mistakably. There was no mistaking what happened on the day of Pentecost. Something was seen, something was heard, and something was experienced in a very wonderful way. People were suddenly immersed in Holy Spirit power. And they were changed instantly. They began to speak in languages they'd never even learned and to praise God. That's supernatural. That's great. That's wonderful. Now, if we go over to Acts chapter 8, we find another incident. This time it is Philip who is preaching in a city in Samaria. And by the way, the reason for his going and others going away from Jerusalem was not because they were in a hurry to go out and spread the gospel. It was because they tasted persecution. Serious persecution hit the first believers in the church. And persecution virtually drove them, all except the leaders, were driven out of Jerusalem and they had to scatter. And he, this man, scattered all the way down to Samaria and began to preach in a city there and was greatly, his preaching was greatly blessed. We discover that he proclaimed the Messiah and the crowds heard Philip and they saw the miraculous signs he did. They paid close attention to what he said and with shrieks, evil spirits came out of many people and many paralytics and cripples were healed. It was all happening. Extraordinary, miraculous stuff. There was great joy in that city. And the new believers got baptized in water. One go back to Jerusalem. Things are happening down in Samaria. Peter, John, better pack your overnight case and go down there. Hmm. Okay? So Peter and John set off to Samaria, and when they arrived there, they met these new believers. They could see that they had been changed. They were wonderfully in love with Jesus. They were full of joy and gladness, but, but, with the spiritual discernment they had, Peter and John discerned, uh-uh, there's one thing they haven't experienced yet. They haven't been baptized in the Holy Spirit. 
There was no evidence that they had been baptized in the Holy Spirit. So, what did Peter and John do? They lined them up, stand in a queue, and Peter and John go down the line, laying hands on them and praying for them. And what happens? They received the Holy Spirit. Oh, same thing, same thing, a smaller scale, once again. Now that is what happened as a consequence of the initial outpouring on the day of Pentecost. And those who were the first to taste it, those 120 or so disciples of Jesus, they were taught to expect it, they were there to experience it, and of course, understandably and predictably, they were able to explain it. Well, Peter did the explaining by preaching to them. And, as every good preacher should, Christian preachers, he began with a text of scripture. And he expounded that scripture, and he went on to preach Jesus. They were able to explain it. He quoted the prophecy of Joel, and he began then to preach Jesus. But you know, let's take a little trip back into the Old Testament, as I rather like doing, as you probably understand by now. Because something parallel, something similar, happened on a much smaller scale way back in the days of Moses. Moses, remember, was 80 when he took on the responsibility of leading that vast number of Hebrews out from slavery in Egypt to freedom in the Promised Land. He was 80. He was a senior citizen. Oh. And he was doing it all single-handed, almost, with the help of Aaron, his brother. One day the Lord speaks to Moses and says, Listen, you... No, I didn't say that. Bring me... <laughs> he was polite. I'm sure he was polite. <laughs> That's just to make sure you're still awake, yes. Um, Bring me seventy of Israel's elders, said the Lord, who are known to you as leaders. Make them come to the tent of meeting, that they may stand there with you. I will come down, and I will speak with you there, and I will take of the Spirit that is on you, and put the Spirit on them. They will help you carry the burden of the people, so that you will not have to carry it alone. Ah, one man ministry is now team leadership. So, Moses, in obedience to the Lord, calls for 70 elders, and he presents these 70 elders at the right place on the right day. And the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke with him, and took of the Spirit that was on him, and put the Spirit on the 70 elders. When the Spirit rested on them, guess what they did? They prophesied, just like the New Testament Pentecost, and continued to do so as the better translation that follows. So you see, it wasn't completely new on the day of Pentecost. There had been a miniature demonstration, if you like, way back in the days of Moses. They were able to explain it from Scripture, and that's always important. When people claim to have a spiritual experience, and it sounds a bit dodgy, check it out with Scripture. If Scripture doesn't mention it, well, you better avoid it. If Scripture condemns it, forbids it, for goodness sake, avoid it. Um, if Scripture okays it, well, you okay it. They were there, to, they were able to explain it from Scripture and in relation to salvation. Because Peter got going that day, he's just himself been anointed with the Holy Spirit, immersed in the Holy Spirit. He's, he's virtually drunk in the Spirit, the man. Now, I've seen men drunk in the Spirit, yeah. When you are drunk, I mean seriously drunk, you have it pretty difficult to stay vertical. 
They're liable to hit the deck. And I've seen a preacher who would hardly stand up to, to preach because he was so filled with the Spirit, overflowing with the Spirit. He was staggering around. You helped him up on the platform and he was able to preach the Word of God. I've seen that two years ago. Mm. So Peter doesn't seem to get drunk anyway. He, he was able to preach very adequately. And he addresses the crowd as men of Israel. You see, he's talking to a group of men who are Jewish. Listen to this. You know, I remember a little time ago in Queen's Park Baptist Church, two Peruvian preachers were visiting, and they got to preach, the two of them up on the platform at the same time. It was quite a kind of comic act almost. They were quite amusing, because every so often they would say, Ecucha! 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 If you know any French, well, Ecuti is the French, and the Spanish is Ecucha, I think. So they were saying, listen, 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 listen. They were always saying, don't, 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 don't ignore what I'm saying, it's important, listen, Ikutia. So if I say Ikutia occasionally, they don't know, know what I'm talking about. Um, anyway, Peter gets on preaching the gospel. Preaching the death and resurrection of Jesus. Yes, yes, yes. That is always God's intention. To make known what his beloved son has done. If preaching is not related to salvation, well, it's, it's sadly lacking. And here is Peter in full steam ahead mode, preaching the death of Jesus. And notice he says something very interesting. He says, men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you, by miracles, wonders and signs which God did among you through him. As you yourselves know, this man was handed over to you, the Jewish people, by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. And you, the Jewish people, especially the leaders, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. Did the nine times in that short preach, Peter used the word you, you, you. And I have to listen, unfortunately, to quite a bit of preaching nowadays that I don't always enjoy. And uh, I don't hear preachers saying you very often. I make no apology for saying you. Because, you see, we need to stir each other up. I need to stir people up when I'm preaching to them. This calls for a response. Don't turn away. Don't turn, turn a deaf ear to this. It's for you. You. Because you, by your sin, are partly responsible for the death of Jesus. He had to die for our sins because we were sinners. Nothing to be proud of. Far from it. Oh, nine times Peter uses the word you. So first of all, he's speaking in the death and resurrection of Jesus. He goes on then to uh, speak of more than that. So, just to recap for a minute. These believers were taught to expect what happened. They were there to experience what happened. And they were able to explain what happened. But not that only. They were able to express it. Peter, well, the, all the folks were able to express it in praise. They prayed in tongues, they praised God. And some of you will know the name Chris Bowater, a wonderful musician who has written some of the songs that we sing. And I was present when Chris came probably for the first time to Glasgow to speak in a meeting. And one of the things he said to us was this. Speaking about the whole work of the Spirit that was going on more noticeably then than 30 years ago than it is now. Um, and he said, you know, uh, there are times when we love the Lord Jesus. There are times when we were worshipping him. 
and we just want to express our worship more and more and more and what happens we run out of words we can't think of any more words to express than which to express our worship ha, God's got the answer gives us the gift of tongues and we switch into tongues and away we go in more and more worship unhindered now the gift of tongues is not to be ignored it can come along with the experience of the Holy Spirit Pentecostals would say it will always come or some Pentecostals would say it will always come if you've got a genuine experience of the Holy Spirit that's debatable but the point is when it's given it's given not as a kind of an ornament it's given as a gift to use and it's a wonderful thing when very often we feel a bit sleepy and tired and you know, we, want, we want to pray but well, Lord I really am quite tired I, I think I'll leave this till tomorrow or leave it till the end of the time I experience that so what do I do every time, every morning in my prayer time I start off asking the Holy Spirit to help me to pray and I begin to pray in tongues but then I go into English kick start in tongues yes it's a spiritual reality hmm, oh well, oh well so We've got to Peter preaching. He's preached on the death and resurrection of Jesus. Then he goes on to speak of the ascension of Jesus. He says later in the passage, that we didn't, we didn't read this part, God has raised this Jesus from to life and we're all witnesses of the fact. Exalted to the right hand of God, that's the ascension, he returned to heaven. He, Jesus, has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and here Peter takes them beyond the death and resurrection of Jesus to his ascension and to his outpouring of the spirit who poured the spirit out on the day of Pentecost it was our Lord Jesus Christ himself he poured the spirit upon these people and transformed their lives in the process you see they had been warned by Jesus in preparation for the coming of the Spirit, it said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And 44 years ago, first of all, the year before, the Lord was pleased to bless my wife with an experience of the Holy Spirit, which she had never had before. And then the following year, it was my turn. And I was immersed in Holy Spirit power. And it was all for, my, for me, it was all very low-key. It wasn't a great dramatic thing. It was all fairly low-key, but it was real. It was real. And it began to transform my prayer life and my preaching ministry. And I thank God for it. It is so enriching. And I want to encourage you to reach out for this very, very, very same experience if you have not yet had it. You will be immersed in Jesus in a few days. You will be immersed in Holy Spirit and I've told you this before I think that in various places in the New Testament where the Holy Spirit is mentioned in our English translation of the Bible it always says the Holy Spirit but in the original Greek about 50% of the time the word the T-H-E is missing now how can you explain that well somebody well, I think with real spiritual discernment years ago suggested that where the word the is present it's reminding us that the Holy Spirit is not an influence only the Holy Spirit is a person God the Father, God the Son and God the Holy Spirit 
And God desires that we Christians should have a real working relationship, and I use the word working deliberately, with the Father, and with the Son, and with the Holy Spirit. So what about the times where the word the is omitted in the original Greek? What's being emphasized there? And a suggestion made, and I agree with it entirely, that's to focus on the power of the Spirit. Yes, he's a person. That's why I can be grieved. We're warned not to grieve him. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. He's supernaturally omnipotent. He's powerful beyond measure. But he's very sensitive. And if he doesn't feel at home in our lives, if we're treating him badly, if we're ignoring him, he doesn't go away. He is in our life from the point of our coming to Jesus. But he takes a kind of back seat and doesn't get involved too much if we don't want it. See, God doesn't force himself upon us. We've got to want it. We've got to want what God wants to give us. So this morning, I want you to ask the Lord in the quietness of your own heart, is this a time for me to seek to open up my life, to receive some further experience, never mind the name we give it, infilling of the Spirit, baptism in the Spirit, anointing of the Spirit. The names are not so important. It's the fact that it's God, it's God, a person. God whom we know as Father, God whom we know as Son, and God who wants to be known more fully in our lives as the Holy Spirit. It's very difficult to live a Christian life. It's pretty well impossible to live a Christian life at the level God desires and intends for us without the help, the cooperation of the Holy Spirit. I, the older I get, the more I depend on the Holy Spirit. The more I'm aware of my own inability, the more I depend on Him. What about you? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you're a generous God. You pour your love upon us. You pour your gifts upon us. You equip us, not partially, but totally, to live the kind of life you have planned for us and want us to experience in this world. We thank you for the gift of life itself, with all its problems and all its difficulties and all its disappointments, with all the negative stuff we have to experience. But we thank you that the positives always outweigh the negatives. And we thank you for reminding us today that you are, you actually are at work in the lives of all of us who have become Christians, have surrendered our lives to Jesus. You are changing us. And we thank you that what you're working at is very, very special because you're concerned to make us more and more like Jesus. Will you increase the desire in our own hearts to become more like Jesus in character and in conduct? To this end, increase our appetite, our desire for more of your Holy Spirit. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.